Hello, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of One Vision and our brand new season, the FinTech Fuse. This is Theo, your host for the episode, along with my partner in crime, Stephanie Foster. Today, we are super delighted to welcome a new guest on the show, Sebastian Boulez, co-founder and CEO at Arkham. Welcome to the show, Sebastian. Thank you, Theo. Glad to be here. Thank you. So now, before we get started, tell us a little bit about Arkham and the inspiration behind the company. More interestingly, your journey from the background in economics and Pulsi, which is super fascinating, um, to being a fintech founder. Um, I don't think anyone in fintech uh, chooses to be in fintech. It's either you, you land in here by some miracle or by mistake. Um, and my story was no different. Um, a little bit about Arkham, we are, you know, I consider ourselves the customer success platform for the financial services space. Um, we're a little beyond just a customer success platform as, you know, the way we approach the problem of customer churn is by allowing our clients to leverage their data, analyze it, and determine what customers are at risk of churning, why, and provide information or framework as to what to do in order for those clients or customers to be retained um, for the long term. In terms of how I landed in here, it was kind of a entire journey, right? I go to grad school for, or I go to undergrad for economics and poli sci. My intention was to be a lawyer, actually, believe it or not. And halfway through studying for the LSAT, I realized that uh, this is kind of boring and not what I want to do. So I decided to go to grad school for applied econ. And what I learned there was, you know, essentially was the foundation of the tools that I would use today to do my job. What I mean by that is, was a crash course on leveraging data. More specifically, how do we leverage data to help um, drive insights for businesses um, that create growth or have an impact? Um, so shortly after grad school, I ended up actually getting a job at a consulting firm that essentially handled or created um, churn models for the publication industry. So if you're a New York Times subscriber, I would essentially analyze that historical data and predict if you're likely to churn or not. If you were, then we'll provide you with certain incentives to ensure that you stuck around. Uh, I did that for about a year. Um, shortly after, I went to work with at Evo Payments. And Evo Payments is one of the largest global processors in the country. And I didn't know anything about payments, did not know what interchange meant, uh, but I found it extremely fascinating in the sense that, you know, my first day of the job, I get this sort of graph around debits and credit sales and how they move over time, right? And showing sort of how tax, um, tax returns affect your, debt expenditure at the beginning of the year and sort of once that money runs out, we start to lever up and start seeing a lot of credit card flows coming in all the way until we come in in December where, you know, that debit chart is non-existent and that credit chart is pretty much through the roof, right? And that was sort of my first step or, or, or dive within payments and, and sort of how it almost really, you know, ignited my curiosity purely based out of that, you know, the infer the economic inferences what could make uh, with this information, right? Uh, fast forward to today, and we essentially are um, one of the very few 
customer success companies or platforms that focus specifically around payments and the broader financial services industry. Thank you, Sebastian. Uh, we're very excited to have you here today. And I, I love how you kicked off this conversation by saying that you didn't choose FinTech, FinTech chose you. I think many of us in the industry feel the same way. <laughs> so excited for that. Um, I, I've been delighted to have had the opportunity to get to know you over the past few months as a founder. Um, and I'd like to say that we're friends because like we're on a boat together during the summer. That was pretty cool. Um, <laughs> that, 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 that's when you know, you know. If that's when you know. Anyone, that's, <laughs> that's when the relationships run deep at that point, you know. Exactly. So now I can say that we're friends, we're buddies. Uh, one of the things that I, I learned about you is that community is very important, right? And I feel the same way as well. We're both big networkers. And, you know, you found a home at Atlanta Tech Village, the largest tech hub for startup founders here. Um, and while you're there, you founded the Founders Meetup. And it's my understanding that you've hosted, what, up to 12 of these so far, which is so exciting. So I'd love for you to share with us, like, what was the story behind you creating that community and what success have you seen come out of it? Yeah, no, absolutely. So uh, full disclosure, uh, I started this out of a uh, purely uh, selfish uh, reasons. So when I first get started, we were essentially building for a whole year in my co-founder's spare bedroom. That was our office for, you know, the beginning of the time. And, and what we learned is, you know, yes, it's awesome to be building together, but at the same time, it was constantly running the same ideas uh, through each other, right? There wasn't really anyone else kind of bounce anything off. And, and to be quite honest, it was, you know, everybody always tells you that the startup journey is lonely and, and it really is. It's extremely lonely and you can no longer sort of talk to your buddies who work at maybe McKinsey, PwC or ICBA and be like, hey, you know, it's Friday. Let's let's go. You know, it, 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 it rather is if I get a phone call from one of my team members, we're having a production issue. If it's a Friday night at 10 p.m., I'm most likely going to take that call and try to figure it out. Right. So so I learned that two things I had to, you know, a get new friends for a lack of a better word and these friends to be around you know builders and could understand sort of the challenges and also obstacles that i was facing right um so because of that i decided to kind of you know get started come here to the atlanta tech village um and initially my whole game plan was you know just build here heads down focus and whatnot right after a couple of months i realized hey um i don't really make any connections i'm in this really cool space and at the same time, I'm pretty sure that other founders feel the same way, that there is really not a maybe community, despite that being sort of the, the reason why we all flock to the tech village, right? So I, I took it upon myself to create this, you know, call it a forum where founders could get together, regardless of stage, right? And, and really just over, you know, beers and some pizza, um, be vulnerable to one another and really talk about the issues that we face on a day-to-day -day basis, right? With the hopes that probably someone in that room has either encountered those issues or at one point or another went through them, right? Um, so the, the very first meetup, you know, we had seven founders in a rooftop 
and I couldn't even get a cooler. I bought the beers myself and I put them all in a essentially garbage can with some ice, right? That, that was the first meetup. And it was awesome. You know, we stayed up pretty much two, three hours just chatting up in a very intimate type of setting. Uh, fast forward today, we get anywhere between 50, 60 founders. We had speakers from TTV Capital, um, The Gathering Spot. And, and really, the whole notion behind this is, okay, now we're together. We're being vulnerable. We're having some good drinks. We're having some good food. Um, let's learn from someone about some topic um, that would potentially help us in growing as leaders, as founders, as builders, as whatever it may be. But the hope is at the end of every meetup, you can walk out with at least one new connection, at least one possible solution to an issue, and maybe a couple of golden nuggets of insights that you didn't know before you came into the space. Um, it's it's so important to surround ourselves ourselves with community, and as as you have mentioned, being a founder can be lonely, right? So it's it it makes a difference to have some folks rally behind you, and also I know that you've served as mentor as well to earlier stage companies in the area. So kudos for for giving back. That's so important. Um, and, and, and I and, and I do that. Let me, you know, kind of double click on mm-hmm. on that. Right. It's like, who, who did I learn? I didn't, I didn't know how to make pitch deck, how to talk to investors, how to get clients, how to build a team. The, all, these are all things that I learned from founders that were at a stage or two ahead of me. Right. And I always say, you know, where is the best place to learn? It's, you know, go learn from someone who has been there and done that. Not, mm-hmm. you know, IPO. 10 years ago and can get some insights because, you know, at that point, a lot, a lot of time has gone by, right? And, and maybe some of that advice uh, could come at the sort of different timing, right? Versus if I'm a pre-seed founder learning from a seed stage founder or even a series A founder, it could be extremely beneficial because they just went through that, right? They just went through all the no's. They just went through, you know, modifying the deck. They just went through modifying the story, right? So I, I really quickly learned that if I want to avoid mistakes, uh, which we will make down the road at one point eventually, right? Uh, but if I could reduce the number of mistakes over time by learning through people that have already been there, done that, um, I think that would save us a lot of time and that all been translates into uh, money, right? Yeah, absolutely. Agree 100%. Um, so shifting gears a little bit, I, one of the things that I learned is that, you know, in addition to that fintech and startup space that we have in common and also being networkers in Atlanta, we're both Florida kids. We grew up in Florida, went to school there, um, loved catching up and, and and talking a little bit about what it was like to, to grow up in Florida and what the space looks like there. But, you know, we both have ended up in Georgia now in the Atlanta area. And one of the things that I love about being here is how, just how interwoven and how connected everybody is, not just in FinTech, but also within the startup ecosystem um, and how we all support each other. So what I'd love to ask you is what, what do you think it is about the Atlanta ecosystem that makes this place 
so special for for fintech founders and also for fintech professionals? Um, I, I always say that Atlanta is a um, small town disguised as a big city, right? Because it's so easy to meet people. And, you know, I always kind of jokingly say, I'm, I'm two degrees of separation from pretty much anyone in Atlanta that I like to get in touch with, right? And, and I think that's what makes this place unique and special, right? It's, it, there is a lot of culture, there's a lot of history, you know, and where I come from, it's, you know, Miami. Yeah, there is, you know, a lot of culture, mainly Latino culture. And here there's a lot of black history and, you know, it's where else can you go and, you know, see MLK buried with Coretta, you know, it's, it's very fascinating. And I think that also goes to show, you know, you know, some of the founders that come here, it's, you know, probably we have the highest concentration of minority founders than anywhere else uh, for that matter, right? And by the way, that, that's an opinion. I, I think that's the case. I don't have any data to back that, but I would, I would pretty much argue that Atlanta just has sort of the right ingredients to build here, right? Uh, Miami is expensive. I'd love to go back home, but guess what? You wouldn't be able to afford the place that we have. And we most certainly wouldn't be able to have sort of the lifestyle we have here uh, because of its affordability, right? So I think it's a combination of, you know, affordability, really high or access to talent, right? Whether that's Georgia Tech, Emory, UGA, GSU, right? It's, it's all here. Um, and on top of that, you really do have sort of these ecosystem hubs that facilitate for the most part that interconnectedness, whether we're talking about the ATVC, we're talking about ATV, uh, Tech Alpharetta, the Reich Center. It, it, it's almost like all the ingredients to build not only great businesses, but also great communities. It's, it's really here, right? And that's one thing that, you know, I never truly felt in Miami, for example, just because it's so big, there's so many people it's so hard to get from one place to another, right? If I am in building in Brickle, chances are I'm not going to be coming across the founder who's building in North Miami, for example. Uh, versus here, it's like even Alpharetta that feels like a, a whole country away, a 30 minutes, 20 minute drive, right? So it really does facilitate for those connections to be made. And at the end of the day, you know, I really do think that, you know, as um, I, I never say I'm a Florida guy i would say i'm from miami it's a clear distinction yeah. but 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 you really do have sort of this flavor when you come to you know a place like the south right and, and i think that's what really has allowed me to somewhat navigate through different circles and, and really build the relationship that i've been able to build um in the last years that i've been building here I feel like you two are trying to convince me to take a trip down to uh, yeah. Atlanta. <laughs> I used to uh, commute actually every week to Atlanta when I was working for one of my telco companies and um, Perimeter Center. It's literally Bell South. That was where Bell South was. So I um, I did a one year every week commute. Um, and I was on the road so much to the point that I think I finished Lord of the Rings the entire three books plus Bilbo Baggins um, after a few trips. I mean, you know, it, it's like, what do you do sitting in the airport waiting? Um, this was back in, good God, I'm showing my age. This is back in the late nineties um, before there's like, you know, the whole iPhone before Blackberry, um, 
this was a while ago. Before BlackBerry. <laughs> this was before. Yeah, this was the very beginning of it. We were using pagers. Oh, wow. Okay, okay. I, disclaimer, I am turning 50 in a month. So, yes, I'm older than, yeah, you too. <laughs> but well, just a, a I'll have to say that Atlanta has changed quite a bit, it sounds I've like, for, since your last visit. So, definitely, this is an open invitation to come and experience what it's like in the startup space here in Atlanta. You are welcome to come hang out with us, Theo. I know. Andrew has been trying to drag me down that, but you know, you guys have been out the same week as Finovate. So, <laughs> you know, I, it was, it was a hard choice. Next time, next time, I promise. We, we have other opportunities. You had a venture Atlanta. I think this is like Innovate TL month. It's like a whole month of innovation and events and all that stuff. So, uh, Theo, actually, this is the perfect time to come down here. If you ever thought about coming to Atlanta. I will. I, will. I mean, I have the two of you. What more do I need? Right? So voila, um, but let's go back a little bit to, to FinTech South and um, your mutual love for Atlanta, the wonderful city. Now, um, Arkham won the 2022 Innovation Challenge at FinTech South. That was a year ago. Fast forward to now, I am very, very curious. Um, I always go back to people who won, um, you know, specific challenges and awards and stuff. Has things changed? How have things been? And more interestingly, um, knowing what you know now, right? Going from, I wrote this down when you first started, you know, payments is such, you know, a whole new world. And as uh, Stephanie just said, FinTech chose you. So knowing what you know now, having been through what you had gone through, um, what are some of the larger challenges that you believe that still need to be solved as much as the ecosystem is flourishing? We aren't doing everything we need to, are we? Uh, we could always do more and we can always be better. Right. And, you know, it, it, it's funny. I, you know, I, I always say a, a year in startup land is like a decade anywhere else. Right. And, you know, it, it's funny that, that one year ago, you know, as, as we were, showing our slides about what our product would look like. These were all Figma files, mock files, right? Um, it was truly fascinating to, you know, kind of look back a whole year and A, see how close our product was to what we originally designed. And, and more importantly, sort of the strength of the relationships that we built initially in, in, in that conference, right? Um, I, I think that for, for the most part, um, Really, you know, given the the, the 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 small size of Atlanta, it really does to facilitate to not only build a lot of connections that eventually become relationships, but also go deep in those relationships, right? And to the point where, where you know, our call it our first, you know, we had the first interaction with a very large payments company in FinTech South and kind of fast forward to, you know, a whole year later, and we're still in discussion with them, which taught me, hey, um, um, sales cycles could be long, right? I've never been in a sales role. So in this particular case, realizing that, you know, some things take time, right? And you cannot build something great in a matter of, you know, sort of months. And, and that's kind of the West Coast mentality, right? Build fast, build fast and, and move on, right? What I learned is that for business in many cases, especially in the B2B space to, to, to really 
continue to grow a lot or find that product market fit, it really sometimes is a big factor that is, is the relationships, right? The people you can call to ask for an intro to a warm introduction to a big organization where someone in there is a decision maker and also cares about the problem you're solving, right? Um, so, so that's one of the things that I, you know, really, really, you know, learned from looking back to last year to today. It's a lot of times these things simply take time, right? It's it's the right person that you need switching over to a new team and that team becomes a team that happens to be solving the problem you're solving, right? Uh, some of these things take time and require you to be patient as a founder, right? Which is very, very in contrast with our DNA where we want to get it now, we want to get it done fast and we want to get it uh, done, you know, uh, yesterday versus waiting around, right? Um, but there's a fine balance between sort of realizing that, you know, great things take time and, and being patient when you're dealing with, you know, other maybe large organizations. Um, some of the things that we could do better and improve is, uh, I would say again, uh, Atlanta is a phenomenal melting pot with, you know, probably a higher concentration of minority founders that you'll find anywhere else. Yet access to capital for a lot of these founders is still very challenging, right? And if we're to make sort of Atlanta top five hub as many wanted to make it, right? It really does require that one critical piece, right? That is necessary to build anything, right? I mean, you need the talent, you need the, you need the, the, the ideas, the access to the companies you'll be selling to. But at the same time, without capital, it really becomes um, a longer than usual journey that it should be uh, simply because that iteration um, and, and that fast paced ability to evolve the product, it's, it's, it's not there, right? And I think that overall, uh, this is one of those things that Atlanta could significantly improve. Um, again, coming from Miami, I really was sort of fascinated by what Mayor Suarez did down there and turning essentially what it was for the longest, the hospitality and somewhat of a financial hub um, into this really fast-paced ecosystem that that founders are coming and flocking from all over the place to go and build, right? Uh, so I think some of that element could also be, you know, here in Atlanta to really make it um, one of the top ecosystems to build across the country. You brought up a really good point. That's something that we've been talking quite a bit on this show since the first day is for any ecosystem to, to really flourish, you need access to talent, which is university. Um, you need access to buyers, right? Companies you can partner with and you need access to capital. Um, that latter part is still something that we need to solve. Um, I, I still vividly remember just as quite many years ago, um, I had a chat with someone, he called, he called me, um, he's a FinTech founder in Texas and he was, and, uh, <clears throat> and I could hear the, the backgrounds, um, noise when he was calling me and I'm like, you know, dude, just get off the phone. You're driving, call me back later. And he told me, no, this is going to take me two days because I am driving and moving my family from Texas. Um, he was in uh, Plano, Texas to California because he said, I can't get the support that I need access to capital, access to talent, 
um, the people in the space that he he needs to work with. He said, "I'm I'm like literally uprooting my family to California for for just that," and which was an incredibly sad story in many ways. Um, that was seven years ago. <laughs> I yeah. I'm not gonna go and speculate exactly where things are right now, but um, I think we you you're right. We still have work to do. Um, so. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's places, honestly, I mean, I, I literally this past week, I, I, I met this sort of economic development organization out of Texas that literally writes you up half a million dollar non-dilutive check, but you have to come and move to Texas for two to three years, something like that, right? And their whole incentive is behind, you know, giving some money to startups to come and build in, in Texas, right? And Nashville also has mm-hmm. a very similar approach where they have sort of this big, fund essentially spun up by the state right where they really do provide capital to nashville or tennessee based businesses right and 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 i think we're seeing this in certain pockets of the country which in a way gives us a framework of how to solve this right it doesn't always have to come from you know more vcs or angel investors or Mm -hmm. or more founders who had exits right i mean mean, this could be both a bottom-up and top-down approach um, to solve the issue, right? Because you know, we need innovation to continue to grow up and remain competitive as a state, city, or whatever you're looking at, right? Even as a, at a macro countrywide level, right? So, so it is that ability to essentially build and generate, create jobs and create additional prosperity from those early state or from those early uh, employees that joined and maybe down the road they become founders right and it's sort of this whole feedback positive feedback loop that create that is generated um from being in the position that we're in right and um, I, I think that's what makes this sort of journey great that you know you you, you have things like the paypal mafia right that emerge from just a group of guys working in one product one company and then they go spin up and LinkedIn, YouTube, Yelp, all these things get created that we all benefit from simply because people like PayPal existed and these group of people work together in solving the same issue, right? And and, and I think that's what makes this um, journey or startup journey so fascinating because you just never know what the next five, 10 years will look like, uh, not only for us as a company, but for all the people and, 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 and the individuals that we touch along the way, right? Yeah, absolutely raised a good point. And before PayPal and all of these companies started, before that was definitely the government foundation. They put in a lot of money and resources to support small business, especially in the state of California. Um, and that's how a lot of these companies got their head start. So we do need both. Um, absolutely agree. So let's take this forward. Um, in relation to that, let's talk about economy. Um, every single Uber and taxi ride I've had taken in the last few months always end up with, oh my goodness, inflation is killing us. Oh my goodness, homelessness is killing us. What are we doing and what are we not doing? Um, one thing that often jumped out at me and I, I don't know if this is a good or bad thing. I love to read poverty reports. <laughs> I like to read census reports. Um, and I like to read it at night before I go to sleep, which I don't exactly why I do that. Last night I was reading an IMF report before I went to sleep. Uh, the, the one number 
<laughs> strike me. You know what? I, I, I deal with insomnia. I'm sorry. I, I deal with insomnia. I might have to go through and start checking out poverty reports. Maybe this will help me go to sleep faster and better, you know? <laughs> I don't have insomnia. I have lack of hours, but these things intrigue me. I don't understand it. I, I, I just, I love to read. Um, so, so poverty rate. Um, that has not changed in 50 years. Talk about, you know, innovation, talk about funding, talk about new startups, right? Things, how we've changed the way we live our lives. But the one thing that has not changed is the number of people that are in poverty and it kills me. Um, credit card debt going through the roof. Buy now, pay later. We had not stopped talking about it. And, and the other thing I read last week, right before I went to sleep, was um, a new morning consult report that popped up that said how many people are now covering the I now pay later debt um, with credit card payments. So they're rolling a debt on top of a debt. Emphasize, I do not have an insomnia problem, but these are really interesting things to read. Um, so taking it back closer to home, fintech sector, we're building a lot of stuff. Um, but it seems like consumers still need help. So how do you see all of these things that are happening in our ecosystem and how that impact what we built within financial services, within FinTech, and how we get money and resources and intention to build what consumers need? That, that, that's, a, that's a great question, and And, and it's, it's funny, you know, I actually, you know, one of my grad school projects was really doing this whole very comprehensive benefit cliffs analysis, right? Where a lot of individuals tend to not take that pay increase because that additional 10 cents out of the dollar would put them over a benefit cliff. And all of a sudden they no longer have access to their SNAP benefits, um, maybe cash incentives, right? So they actually shy away from getting that raise or that promotion, right? With the fear that they would actually be worse off by by no longer being eligible to certain benefits, right? And and, and although maybe benefit or you know a poverty rate hasn't changed in the last fifty years, I'll tell you what has changed. Um, that the delta or the difference between the very top one percent and and the bottom, um, right? Wage growth has been really stagnant um, for the past since let's say Ronald Reagan times. Right. And and I think that's more of a structural issue. Right. And in 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 a way, I'm not going to say that fintech uh, will solve all the problems that we're seeing um, present. But but it does give you hope. I'll give you a good example. One of my you know good advisors and, and friends, he's currently building a neobank for Latinos here in Atlanta. Right. What does that mean? His hope pitch is around bringing the right products at the right time at a fair price, right? Products that include financial literacy and access to um, investment opportunities, whether that's ETFs or your first primer to the public markets, right? And, and, and this is all very intentional because he happens to be a Latino individual, right? So I think that what entrepreneurship and fintech really facilitate is that ability to solve issues that are either present inherently in our own lives and we foresee others having the same problem and we solve them, right? So I think it's that 
essentially, you know, that, that avenue to solve big problems, right? That make our space very fascinating, right? And, and in terms of what does that translate over time as well, you know, if companies like him succeed, that means that more Latinos will maybe have access to capital. Maybe more Latinos have access to, um, to, to products and services that help them build wealth. And over time, right, get or overcome these challenges that are structurally or systematically present um, in our college society, right, or in the fabric of where we live. I would say that I, I agree definitely as you as you both have mentioned those statistics are as it relates to you know debt and and poverty are quite scary as we read these reports or things that we read on the news uh, but I'd say that there's definitely a glimmer of hope um, that I am seeing in the industry there's a rise in financial health and financial wellness solutions right both tech enabled and also from the edu education piece that we're seeing a lot more than we did, I'd say five years ago now, right? We're seeing a lot of younger founders, particularly um, children of immigrant and minorities who have seen what their parents, right? Like you and I, Sebastian, right? We've seen what our parents have gone through to get us to help get us through school. We've learned about financial literacy and how to like build your credit, how to save up to buy a house. Um, and I'm seeing a lot of solutions, both tech enabled and non tech enabled to help support. Like now that, you know, we've grown up and now we're having kids and we're looking for tools to help teach our kids about money, about credit card, about like the four things that you do with money, right? Um, so despite these statistics, I'm, I am seeing a little bit more hope today, more than I've seen in previous years as to how we can help the next generation do better. Yeah, and, and along the same lines too, Stephanie, right? It's like, I mean, Theo, think about it. Who, who did buy now, pay later? You know, sure, yeah, there is a lot more debt out there. Uh, now you have access to new products, financial products that maybe you don't have access before, which now you can leverage, use, and, and abuse. Right. But in big part, buy now, pay later was or helped out essentially provide credit to many of those that never had access to credit. Right. Because for whatever reason, they weren't in the Experian or Equifax report and they weren't able to build that credit. Buy now, pay later really did change that in a way that anyone, regardless of credit history, could apply for one of these loans essentially right? And take advantage of that, right? Obviously, that educational component, that responsibility component should exist, doesn't necessarily get, we don't get preached that as much, right? But I, I think in the silver lining of all this is that more people now have access to credit that otherwise didn't have, right? And a lot of those people tend to be minorities and individuals that for the most part wear were, were shunned away from the ability and access to credit that so many Americans sort of have access to. I, I don't disagree. I think where the 
The challenge I have is that we are providing candies without telling people what happened when you have too much candies, mm. right? And that's the problem. When you advertise things in ways that, oh, you know, you want this lipstick, you want this handbag, it's really easy, you know, no interest, no fees, paying for it. That's all great and wonderful, but you you portrayed it in a way that just keep doing this, don't worry, without giving them the tools and the guardrails to make sure that they don't end up missing the payment, which was one of the things from the report is a lot of the people, because they take more than one buy now, pay later, right? When you have multiple of these, you get confused. You don't really remember exactly when I need to pay what and how. And that's when you get into a trap. So yay to extending credit, but we need to do more to make sure that we don't get people overextend themselves. And I think that's the second part that we miss is we give people the power without the responsibility. And, the, and that's yeah. my struggle. Um, but, it, you know. It, it, it reminds me a lot of when um, cigarettes used to be advertised as a stress reduction and have the doctor in there telling you, hey, yeah, you know, cigarette mm -hmm. a day will keep the doctor away, right? It's, it's almost like this sinister byproduct of, you know, sort of these new tools and new services that are coming up. But I think you made a, you made a great point, right? Without the guardrails or even the complete information of, of what are uh, some of the responsibilities that we should bear as consumers, you know, it, it really does, you know, a big part of, of this service. Mm -hmm. A lot of the people who may be taking advantage of these products and services because maybe they, maybe they are the ones with, you know, less credit or financial yeah. literacy than the average Joe, right? Mm -hmm. um, and in a way, it becomes a bit opportunistic in that sense. Absolutely. From, from that same report I was reading, they said the people that fell into the trap are the youngest ones who um, are more prone to use alternate financial services and who have income, right? So they're not targeting the very, very poor. They're targeting the ones who actually have a little bit of money to spend, but they don't, you know, they, they, they are really too young to understand. So yay to education, Stephanie, to your point. Um, and I remember I learned a hard way too um, when I was in college. I remember getting this credit card because that's the first thing you get when you go to college. What do you do? You get the college credit card. I had no idea how all of these compound interest and fees, all of that work, because all I see is, you know, pay minimal, this is per month, what you need to do, right? After fill billing cycles, I'm like, oh my God, how did that pair of jeans became like this much? That was my learning lesson is, um, I should have known, but <laughs> write it in an English in a way that I could understand. It was so complex and so long and bad me i didn't read through the five pages of t's and c's and all of those things so that was how i learned right but we should have made it easier so more to be done before we let you go sebastian what's next for arkham or you oh that's uh <laughs> <laughs> it's just secret no I, i've always I always been very open with what we're building and, and, and to be honest, you know, for the last three years or so, we've been extremely focused around um, helping, whether it's payments companies, whether it's banks, um, really reduce that customer churn, right? We always said, we don't really care why you're losing customers, right? If, if, we, if we help you identify who's unhappy and satisfied. 
and we can tell you why they're unhappy. Um, and we can provide you suggestions as to what to do in order to retain that account, you'll reduce your attrition rates over time, right? Um, but churn is just one component of that growth equation, right? And what we learned is that we now have a ton of data that we can do so much more than just churn mitigation, right? Whether that is going down the route of providing or layering LLMs on top of our solution to provide more self-serve analytics to our end users, or whether it is leveraging that same data to create, call it maybe market-based pricing or dynamic pricing, right? Or data-driven pricing strategies. It's sort of where we want to take this company where it's no longer just one tool to solve one issue, but rather this is my entire revenue studio software where I can certain levers to drive revenue and growth. And what we found is that a lot of the data that we're solving churn with could be used for other purposes that help companies grow, whether that is pointing you to uh, some, some accounts that you previously lost in the form of a reacquisition model, right? Or all the way to the point where you have visibility into who are your fastest growing accounts? And what are some of the characteristics of those fastest growing accounts in order to go after more accounts like that, right? So it's it's the next evolution of taking this one single solution for a very specific problem and really expanding upon that and providing what we say, you know, the all the tools in a box that you need to grow your portfolio and your business overall. I like that. Can't wait to hear what's uh, what else. Twenty twenty four. Trying to get used to that new <laughs> new year. Um, we'll we'll hold in store for you. I'm sure it will be absolutely exciting, and and I can't wait um, to see how you guys keep growing. And yes, I will make my pilgrimage down to Atlanta, Stephanie. Um, that's a promise. I didn't say when, but I will. <laughs> Looking forward to it. <laughs> yeah, Theo, I'll make sure to coincide with a founders meetup too, so you can meet tons of the ecosystem at the same time, you know? So yep. that, that, that way, after that trip, you might be actually inclined to move to Atlanta moving forward, you know? So <laughs> that is an interesting thought. Hold that for a sec. Um, but thank you so much for joining us today, Sebastian. And uh, it's always a delight to talk to founders and, and hear about their journey. And uh, for the rest of our listeners, thank you so much for joining Stephanie and I for another episode of One Vision. We will talk to you all next week.